Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number, and here today is your host, Brizzle Hadley, and your temporary guest, co-host, step in, Johnny. Guest. Yeah. I can't make, I'm, again, I'm going to rip off Greg and Eric, you're not permanent, mate, still temporary after 200 episodes or whatever it is. That's fine. I can, I can uh, keep some of my toes, isn't it? It does. That's the whole um, point. I'm not invited back. What will I ever do on my Sunday nights then? <laughs> Mate, can you imagine? If you weren't invited back, it'll be like the one or two episodes I've had to do where I've spoke to a microphone on my own, um, which I'm sure for the listeners was absolutely appalling. Interesting, though. Well, myself. I, um, I'm trying to think what the topics I did, actually. I think one was about caffeine, if I remember. I did a recap on caffeine. Uh and I remember doing that because it was an on topic for that week speaking about a client or, or basically I'd been talking to a client about caffeine and it's uh, ergogenic effects or, or the evidence on its uh, or on its potential effects during dieting and performance and some other method reasons why you might take caffeine. Um, so I remember doing it purely for that reason, really because one person was asking about it, but, and it was like an easy topic to come up with last moment when obviously I didn't have a, uh, a special temporary guest to, to bounce ideas off, but I can't remember what the other one was. I, mean, I think there was another one at one point. I think it might've been something again, similar about, I don't know, remembering what, a, like a recap on a, what is considered a healthy diet or something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> Interesting. Interesting subjects to talk yourself about. I think I've sold my decaf coffee the wrong way, as they say. <laughs> I think it's gone down the wrong hall, Jonathan. Is that what they say? <clears throat> that's that's one of those things that really fucking bugs me. Because you only have one hole. Well, <laughs> something went through my mind there. Uh, <laughs> you only have one um, esophagus, right? Yeah. Um, if it went down the wrong hole, it'd go into your lungs and you would probably have severe problems uh, and a risk of death. <clears throat> Is that right? I would probably imagine you bark up the correct tree there. Hmm. So when someone says, oh, it's gone down the wrong hole, that does bug me a little bit. I, I won't lie. It doesn't bug me. I just think it's wrong. Yeah. Do you know what bugs me? What? Do you know what else bugs me? What? Dickheads that fill up their car with petrol, or cars with petrol, when they don't actually need petrol. <clears throat> Do you know what's funny? Uh, their, their house burning down with 19 jerry cans in the boot of their car stuck in their garage that'd be quite funny well so, ooh, savage. she's got tiktok which i think is a very again childish again app which i will not use ever um <clears throat> someone filmed a, a female filling up a plastic bag with petrol <laughs> yeah. well, i was i actually i had 40 miles left i need to go to work tuesday so I guess I'm, I guess I'm diesel. Went in there fine. But I imagine everybody's seen it, especially in Texaco garages where there's pumps offset for lorries. Mm-hmm. I imagine some like tipper vans and the bigger vans will be able to use them as well. But because people are so, I don't know, is it lazy? Maybe. Selfish? They're probably. They've gone two or three cars. They've driven past me straight to them. I'm like, do you lot realise... Can you not clearly see the pump? It's got two connections to it, which means the flow is going to be more. Therefore, it's a bigger vehicle, probably an Arctic lorry or a truck. What happens? Oh, it can't fit in the hole. And they look around them as if they're acting stupid. Like, yeah, because you are stupid. Yeah. And back to my what I was going to say originally. How many people have you heard the last 18 months saying the media's full of shit? Which they are. I don't, I don't dispute it. Don't listen to the media. But yet, any little thing like this, they listen to the media. Oh, we're running short of whatever. Let's go back and buy it all. And then they actually caused the disruption that was never there in the first place. That you're all, if, if you were one of these people, you are stupid. Yeah. Um, do you know what's even more annoying, though, is because obviously the media got out to say, and people are probably thinking, why are they talking about this? But it, it's on topic, isn't it? So we're on trend. But the it's media. Okay. 
Yeah, the me- the media got out early and said about, oh, look, there's a driver shortage or there's going to be a petrol shortage or whatever, whatever the messaging was. Everyone went out literally within an hour and panic bought, caused the fucking petrol shortage because no longer is there any petrol in petrol stations. Um, And then it's kind of like that evening, everyone was saying, no, 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 don't panic buy petrol. It's not, there isn't a petrol shortage, shortage, as in there is a petrol shortage because you've caused it, but there is not a petrol shortage in the UK. We have petrol. We just can't get it out to the petrol stations because we don't have drivers. So if you don't panic buy, they'll they'll probably get it out quick enough and you don't have to worry about it. You just go about your daily business and not, not have to concern yourselves. Yet, last two days, people are still out panic buying. Yeah. It's like, can't you just fucking chill out and just stop panic buying? Because they're telling you, stop panic buying and it'll be okay. And the toilet roll thing was the same, wasn't it? Everyone said like, oh my God, there's no toilet roll. And everyone said, if you just stop fucking buying toilet roll and just wait, it'll be back on the shelves. And everyone yeah. just still bought toilet roll as much as they could. Literally, where I, where I live, there is there are two, pa- <clears throat> two paper mills <coughs> producing toilet roll within 20 miles. Two of them. So they can probably produce a max capacity six or 700 tonnes a day. A day, one day, and like you people are stupid. People are stu- general population are stupid. Hmm. Well, remember what George Carlin once said. What? Do you remember what George Carlin once said? Think, think, think <clears throat> of how intelligent the average person is. Yeah, and, no, and remember right. that. Remember that half the population are dumber than them. It's, but it's like it's just the stuff you see. Where I was like. I just can't believe people do it. Like you are, I'm not. I am not the Briggs of Britain by any stretch of imagination. But I like to think that I'm not stupid. And there's so many people who are stupid. Like I don't mind, but I, like for me now, I don't care if someone's stupid at a subject. If you don't know maths, you don't know maths. Do whatever. Who cares? Doing nutrition, fine. Everybody's got their little bag in it. But people who are really dumb in everything. Who are just, I just, I just don't like them. So is that so bad to me? And do they get this again? I can't handle it. I just can't handle stupidity like that. Like putting pepper in a plastic bag. You are thick if you I, do that. I, I genuinely think garages should uh have and I guess that like people have gone out into four courts now and started either direct cars or they've perhaps been a bit more vigilant in who can have petrol. Um, I know I've seen some petrol station ads signs up to say, look, we're out, but if you're an emergency services vehicle or whatever, or, a, or a, you know, a key worker and can show some relevant ID, we've got some stored for you to use. And I think, obviously, that's a good start, but I actually think garages should start going, right, unless you're on the red or you can somehow evidence that you're in desperate need of petrol, like perhaps being able to, you know, I'm an NHS key worker or whatever, you know, whatever you might seem as an essential key worker, then you can have it. If you don't and you've got half a tank you're trying to fill up, fuck off mate and don't even think about filling up a jerry can or a fucking plastic bag because no and I think they should get that strict just to stop people abusing the situation yeah 100% right and someone you shared earlier it's like the Brexit thing yeah we've got a Brexit we've got to stop these immigrants coming in no we've stopped the immigrants coming in to drive trucks and we can't run the country anymore we've done without thousand drivers short I mean I mean if you believed if you believe these people anyway, that it's all about <clears throat> immigration and you voted Brexit on that again, you're stupid. I'm thinking <clears throat> it shows how easily led people are by <clears throat> people they deem to be in authority. Yet, however, when it comes to COVID, they think then that they are scientists or geneticists who believe <clears throat> themselves over people who've dedicated their life to making vaccines. Like, the Dunning-Kruger effect is incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. I'm just thinking, I get annoyed. It's going to annoy me day by day how dull people are. I just don't. It's getting worse. It's, since the pandemic, it, it sort of opened my eyes how stupid people are. Very emotionally flawed individuals, I think, as well, Jonathan. I think it's all about intelligence. I think a lot of it's about just people being inherently emotional and selfish. I think uh, the funny thing is, obviously, when the pandemic happened and everyone's like, you know, you got to now find yourself being more kind to people. That lasted for all of about 10 minutes before everyone started becoming a selfish a-hole. But there we go. Enough, enough. Chris, is it Chris Whitty? 
Quite Twitty, yes. The way he looked. Like, who cares how he looks? He might look like an alien, but it doesn't mean he's shit at his job, does it? Yeah. I don't care if he is an alien. If he's a good at his job, I don't care. If he's an alien and shit at his job, call him off being shit at his job. Not for whatever. That's the thing, isn't it? Because a celebrity's died, because it all come from Caroline Flack, didn't it? Because a pretty celebrity's died who clearly had problems mentally, obviously, because you committed suicide. It's almost like, oh, let's come the back. It's like when the terrorist tags up, let's put a French flag on my profile. It doesn't do jack shit. It doesn't do anything at all. But when it comes down to it, let's really make a change. Nobody wants to know. Like, nobody gives a fuck. Because everybody, right or wrongly, is me first. Isn't it? Most, yeah. Yeah, most. most. Obviously, there are some very decent human beings out there. Yeah, um, I mean, I try to do my best to be a good person i'm not i am deeply flawed like a lot of people say uh and i I know this does come across as a bit like virtue signaling but and i just say enough of that but still um i do try my best to try and be a decent human being as much as i can i haven't bought petrol i mean i am very lucky that i have a car that does 40 miles on uh, electric on a plug-in basis so i can probably get away with it so perhaps i'm speaking for a uh, a position of privilege right here but i will do my best not to get any petrol for as long as i possibly can to allow one obviously the individuals that need petrol to get it but just to stop this fucking or just to try and put my weight or pull my weight into stopping this stupid situation even happening any further so do i think what i thought earlier is why aren't the me why and the media are comfortable for what they say. Because if if, well, if, 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 if say the Department of Transport, as I've said now, right, the Daily Mirror has put this out. Where's the evidence they cited to say that this there's well, well, actually there isn't. There, there, is, right? there is, there is, there isn't there. Yeah, it's only hundred million pound. You won't be doing it again. Yeah, but there, I, I think this this is the problem of. I think I don't think factually what they've said is incorrect, as in the evidence is there around them being a shortage of drivers. I, and I think also there's always been a shortage of drivers. It's just been exacerbated by Brexit. Um, I think truck drivers has been a vocation, from what I understand anyway, that they've struggled for a long while to kind of successfully replace older drivers, older kind of um, workers that obviously have kind of fallen out of the industry as they retire and not really replacing them. Because to be honest, it's a fucking shit job, isn't it? Um, I mean, if you think about long times away dull boring job potentially just sitting on roads like the places you've got to stay are generally quite crap especially in the uk as well where um like i guess you'll know from being in germany a lot of the kind of infrastructure in germany is well is so much better set up in terms of truck stops places for truckers to kind of you know eat sleep and all that type of stuff park their trucks and things like that in the uk you've got to pay a fortune because you can't you're not allowed to park in a village you're not allowed to park in specific places you've got or certain places you've got to go to a proper truck stop which is just shit dirty cost a load of money for them to stay there so it's just not a very good job in the uk for people to do so people are just saying i don't really want to do that um so they have struggled for a while but brexit is is obviously caused a bigger problem because a lot of people that were doing it in terms of um immigrant workers are now not a lot of them aren't able now to and have to piss off back to where say piss off that sounds harsh does it but have to go back to obviously other their home countries i hope i mean i don't hope because obviously i don't want to exacerbate problems but i wouldn't blame any european worker or kind of immigrant worker that decides this stupid old visa idea no thanks you want me to come over and work till christmas until it suits you and then tell me to fuck off again nah you're right mate i wouldn't blame anyone thinking i'm not going to do that why would they but anyway, that's the thing about Brexit as well, isn't it? It's let's just get it done. But then there's the, the infrastructure to, to deliver what they promise isn't there. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the bullshit and lies again, doesn't it? Which nobody calls out. Well, people do call out, but they still vote for him. So like, well, again, this is the problem when you've got turkeys voting for Christmas, my friend. Uh, you can we only we literally only have one way of protesting this because obviously they are. A power they 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 control this country so the only way you've got to protest this is by enough people voting with their feet and actually voting against them but the problem is is people still keep voting for them so i mean you've obviously seen some swings in polls and stuff that gives you a little glimmer of hope but you kind of still can't help yourself when it comes down to it people still fall for the same old shit the same old buzzwords the same old little small empty promises and just forget about all the shit that they've been doing for the last two and a bit years so there we go. Enough talking about politics, my friend. Enough, enough, enough. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else has been going on in my life that's of any interest. My finger's still fucked from jiu-jitsu. My little finger's still balls. Uh, I got some jiu-jitsu tape. <sighs> Not really fixed a lot, if I'm being totally frank. So uh, I'm a little concerned about it now. But, I mean, it's not so bad that I can't do anything. I'm just, it's just painful and annoying more than anything. It'll be all right. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be all right. But, be all right. but yeah. Um, but, no, jiu is going really, really well. Uh, I've, I've, it's, it's one of those things, right, where, obviously, I'm only now, what, two, two weeks and a bit into it. So, I've only done, like, four sessions or whatever it is. Um, so, I, yeah, my experience is, is limited in that. But there's, it's, it's been really enjoyable getting out of my comfort zone but mm. obviously only kind of like post if that makes sense so like you obviously i clearly i get a little bit of anxiety going thinking oh how hard is this going to be or how like difficult it's going to be you know or am i going to learn am i going to take all the information on am i going to be able to put it into practice and all that sort of stuff and obviously i guess no one really likes going into position where they they're a newbie again like it's a difficult thing to do isn't it um yeah, 100%. yeah. so obviously there's a level of like oh like i kind of I'm almost glad when it's over because it's kind of euphoric. And then I look back and think, but I really fucking enjoyed it. So why should I be glad it's over? That's that weird like paradox almost in that. And I think that comes from just the anxiety. It's a bit like when you do, if anyone's like not in, really scared of public speaking and they go do public speaking, they get it done. You get this euphoric feeling like, fuck, fuck, that's over. I get that a little bit of each session. Um, but I, I do love it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, this week, right? So for, the, for anyone like either doesn't give a shit, fast forward or turn off, but... Uh, this week we were learning how to control from from uh, side control and how to some escapes, and one of them was kind of like a um, uh, get. So if you imagine you're at the bottom and someone's kind of like crushing, I said mentioned to you about the shoulder of doom, didn't I? So there, you can imagine someone's kind of kind of leaning over your arm under the back of your neck, and they're like almost crushing your head between their arm under your neck and their bicep as if they're doing like a bicep curl, like 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 a I don't know, like a nutcracker, just crushing your head. Um, there's there's kind of one moment where like you're trying to bridge to create a bit of space and get an arm under, um, and then under their neck almost, and then you're trying to um, like flare your elbow up. So Johnny, you can see me on camera, but these people can't. So you kind of imagine if they're on top and you're flaring your elbow up into their neck and their onto their like chin, and obviously you're basically trying to push their head up with your forearm so you can create some space to basically get out. Obviously, trying to spar with someone, drilling that, and I was just constantly getting some like young lad i think he's a builder because he's quite a strong lad as well but he didn't look massive but he, he was pretty strong um i can imagine he's kind of got that like you know that that uh manual labor type strength do you know what i mean where someone like obviously that kind of is a laborer or they build and they're just constantly lifting shit all day they don't look massive but he's, he was pretty pretty strong he was constantly just pushing his fucking forearm and stuff into my like like neck and chin and stuff it must be i could i couldn't swallow for about three days afterwards i felt like i had like razor blades in my throat every time i swallow i was like oh my god i don't even like enjoy eating at the moment my chin and my jawline was like bruised and sore to touch for a couple of days i was like, i don't know if i can keep doing this every week like what was this about it's fucking brilliant isn't it <laughs> that's fucking brilliant isn't it boy <laughs> it's fucking brilliant i'm not getting jammed in the face like right then it's on now it's story yeah there's a, it, a few slime moves you obviously you can do it in training but you probably do it in competitions I think I think that's that's a sly move that I think, yeah. or like you know I think the level of um, brutality is probably that was going on this week it was probably a bit much for just training, but I guess I don't know. It's yeah, it became a bit of a competition almost, but because all we're doing, you and I'll be the same. But I'm about ninety kilos, but for some reason this right doesn't believe you. Oh, you're definitely underdone. I'm like, no, I'm not. So he pushed me with the hundred kilo boys. Anyway. There's a few have been on, you know, they've done a bit. They've been doing it like three, four years. No gi. So they, they white belts, brand new white belts, but they're not. You know what I mean? So then when he said, look, I'll do a move now and I'll show you what it is, but it's not going to be pleasant for you. But, you know, if you ever compete, it's worth doing on the slide. Just jam, just jam the fist in the nose. It's not punching you, but jam the fist in the nose. You've got, so it's irritating you as you move away and then it's going to get, get in your get in your neck. He's got... Sorry, Bert, but here it comes. What? In the nose. <laughs> okay, whatever, I said, I don't care. Yeah. But what, what do we do Tuesday, Thursday? Is it deal a river? Deal a river into a heel hook. The horse heel hooks are horrific. Yeah, I have got that fire. The, the, the level of pressure is so small, and yet you can blow someone's ACL out. Mm. Yes, yeah, because it's lateral twisting, which is just... 
and from the position you're in, not that you'd ever deliberately do that in a non-sporting arena, like out of, outside on the street. But in, in a technical, if someone had you in that position, they think, oh, I've got you. There's no way you get out of this. And then they'd end up five seconds later with a bus day CL. Like, how's that happen? Yeah. Well, you might get in that position, say, like, if you're in a street fight and you, you kind of fell and landed in that sort of position. You, yeah. could, you could then just think, fuck it, I'm going to go for that now. You could kind of be. fell legs entangled almost a bit. Because I've had, I had it, I had it done to me before we actually drilled. There's a guy there who's he's a boy, sixteen year old boy. Uh, he can't be a blue belt. He's nineteen and doing. He's obviously pretty advanced. And I was standing over him trying to pass his guard, and he did that. And the time he was happening, I was on the floor. So yeah. even if, even if you can get to the point you you just got the guy on the deck, and you jump to the heel lock, but you can get up and run away, you know, apart, well, uh, on the street or whatever. It's nuts because you think people will think, oh, it's fucked. That's it. You wouldn't be. You'd actually be in quite a favourable favorable position. Of course, then you've got to think of, well, actually, if you just swings a leg kick at you, then you're in trouble. Wouldn't yeah. you would. Do you, I, tell you, I don't know if, you, uh, if, you, if you've if you seen it or would have interest in watching it, but there was the uh, UFC fight card last night, which is the final of the ultimate fight. Or the, yeah, I think it's the ultimate fight, not the contender. It's the ultimate fight series. But basically, it's like X Factor for UFC fighters. They get a load of like unsigned people in a house and go through like tournaments until you get a winner and they get to fight each other in a UFC card for like the Ultimate Fighter Championship. Um, and then they usually have like two coaches coaching two teams in the house and then those two coaches also have a, a, a card. And uh, this series was Volkanovski and Brian Ortega and that was last night. And to be honest, it's probably the best, certainly one of the best title fights I've ever seen between those two. Absolutely incredible. Um, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it or give a shit, then obviously switch off or whatever. But... Brian Ortega was getting battered, but he managed to get uh, Volkanovski down. Um, and Brian Ortega is known for his fucking high, high, high level jiu-jitsu. And he got him in a, in a guillotine. And you just thought, that's it, he's out because that's his best move. And he's got it in so tight, you thought he's going to go out. But Volkanovski just would not tap. And you thought, he's just going to go out to sleep then. And he managed to get out of it. And you're like, oh my God. And next thing you know, he's then got him in. What did he get him in afterwards? Uh, so he basically got him in another move, another... Um, choke or something afterwards but I can't remember what it was now and he thought oh my god he's got it again he's, oh, is he going to give up this time but he just obviously two attempts that burnt himself out and then couldn't carry it on but it was such a good fight it's outrageous so if someone should go back and watch that because it's just fucking brilliant right. UFC is definitely the best fight in sport I think yeah by a long way by a long way Mitch Martial Arts is just so I mean obviously there's some fucking rum and horrible mix ups which just makes shit fights but um, some fights are like it's just so much more action or just so much more explosive competitive unpredictable rather than like you know look at the fucking boxing last night AJ just ugh, come on didn't watch you but I've always said Fury will destroy him yeah I've always said that I haven't always said but more recently when he's been dodging like the big fights and just trying to kind of eke out paydays and stuff and then obviously losing to Andy Andy Ruiz you're kind of like, mm, I'm not sure he's as good as everyone makes out. And like, I think if he, he's going to struggle against a decent boxer. And uh, obviously, it's come true that he has struggled. So, um, like this Stierk, or I, can't, I don't even know what his pronounce his surname, whatever it was. Um, but he's a, I, I don't know a lot about him before this fight, but apparently he's a really, really good, uh, I think he was cruiserweight or whatever he was before, really, really good boxer. And obviously, he's had to bulk up to make this heavyweight. Um and I, I don't think anyone expected him to have too much of a chance just because of the size and height difference and the reach difference. But clearly, he's a fucking very good boxer. So, to oh, make so a lot of difference. Sure. On. I was just going to say, should we actually move on? We're 23 minutes in and not even spoke about uh, anything yeah. to really do with nutrition. So, um, Johnny, if I was to ask you uh, a question about bariatric surgery, uh, good or bad, what would you say? Without going into any too much preamble or it's kind not of... medium, it's good or bad. Well, you can say medium if you want. I, I, I just I want you to say like kind of okay. What are your views on bariatric surgery without going into a shitload of detail right this moment, so we can actually have some sort of debate or discussion rather than just go okay and we'll end it. <laughs> uh... <clears throat> what what like but basically what are your initial really high level thoughts when you when when someone says oh like you know, I'm going to get bariatric surgery, Johnny? What do you think? I think you must be very large, for one. Very, very large, I would say. Um, and 
I'd probably say that. Yeah, again, it dep- depends on the person. I mean, it, it could got the argument of it could get to lose very, very large to lose significant weight to then, you know, start walking, start an exercise because they physically weren't able to before because it was too big. Or maybe they didn't have the confidence to go to the gym or blah, blah, blah. Or it could be like, because there are people out there who do not take responsibility for them for their, for their behaviour and they think everybody's going to bail them out because these people will exist. And you've got that end of the spectrum of like, they won't change. So is it really worth spending money on them? I mean, it's one of those things. In there. It's, 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 it's a, it is a, it depends scenario. I think overall is probably a net positive if you look at what it probably save the NHS in terms of treating a very obese person over this over their lifespan compared to that person being significantly smaller. That's my hundred foot view. Good. Okay, yeah. Um, I wouldn't necessarily disagree on any of that, I think. Um, I think the reason I asked that question is because I think quite often when you hear people speak about bariatric surgery or you ask someone about it, or just people, you know, if you ask anyone's opinion, often they'll just say it's like, it's the lazy way out or, oh, you know, you should, you know, you, you need to try to diet first or you need to try things or whatever. And I think it can often be looked down upon if someone that's got bariatric surgery um as you know, as I say, a bit like the the easy or the lazy way, which I don't I don't think is necessarily the case. It's definitely not always the case. It's sometimes the case, like with everything in there. There's there's people who will do it because they're lazy, and they just do want they're not interested in doing anything else. But there are also people who, like I said, just now, who maybe just don't know how. How they need to lose weight. Of course, you would say someone just eat less, but like it's not as simple as that, is it. So then it gives them that. Because when people lose weight, they see the scale go down on measurements. It gives them motivation to know, right, what I'm doing is right. I'm on track. So you could have people who do that, have the gastric surgery, whatever, and then see where I'm actually making a lot of progress here. Now I can start. You know, I wonder if how much better I feel if I started eating a bit better. So they do that. Then they walk, then they lose enough weight so they're more confident on the gym. So then they start doing that. So you've got people like that. And like you said, you've got people who have, who just, you shouldn't waste the money on because it's not interested. They just expect the NHS to treat them with whatever issues that they get from diabetes, uh, from being potentially morbidly obese, which is a lot of issues. And they're just not willing to do anything about it. Hmm. Like I mentioned, <clears throat> someone I know before, who just not interested in helping themselves whatsoever, and will happily put other people out to get what they want. And I'm sorry, it doesn't wash with me. It doesn't. And there's also the like we talk about off air. It's like the people who have got issues, possibly stemming from childhood or poverty, that are obese because of mental health reasons, which is a different ballgame altogether. So, I mean, it's difficult. Again, you can't see someone's disability mentally, can you? So it's very difficult to say that someone, oh, it's your fault, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no. No. We all live. That's how we all live. Life can change from now and, t- and then tomorrow. It's totally different. You don't know what's around you. You might as someone's lost their whole family in a car crash. Whatever. I don't know. That's horrific, but you know what I mean? then you don't know what that does to people mentally. So they, maybe they cope mechanism is food. And then you just don't know, do you? So it's multiple. I think, again, it's all individual, isn't it? It's all individual. You can never say gastric surgery is good or bad because there's always reasons why it's good and why it's bad. Depending on the, on the scenario, isn't it? It's like nutrition. Keto is good for some people because it suits them. Keto is bad for some people because they just think it's magic. It's like everything. Yeah, I, I think um, so. I, 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 th- I think my personal views are, are that most people are obese or overweight. Are not. It isn't because they're lazy or don't care. There are clearly 
individuals that do fall into that category. But I think there's generally some underlying root cause issues as to why people overeat, whether it is just down to the simple food environment and kind of it being incredibly difficult to manage one's weight in today's society because of you know the food environment, the access to food, um, socioeconomic and kind of poverty type issues, whether it's uh, the increase, or sorry, I should really say the decrease, I guess, or the increase in like... or, or uh, I don't know, not autonomy, the increase in automation, I suppose is probably the right word, or the increase in technology, which means we basically just move less, more sedentary jobs, all of that type of stuff compared to maybe 50 or 60 years ago. And I guess all of those factors together just means that it's just a bit easier to eat more and move less. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and I think that's a big part of it, but I also think there's obviously a lot of deep-rooted kind of mental... Um, issues or kind of food relationships eating disorders emotional eating uh, all that type of stuff lack of mindfulness I think there's a lot of that is involved which I don't I don't really go or but or I don't think I go or buy the personal responsibility narrative that much because I don't think I think I fall on the realms of there's less determinism in our actions than we think I think we're a lot more at the whims of our genetics, at the whims of environment, at the whims of kind of control and influence by other people than I think a lot of people have credit for. Now, I know the easy argument is, well, you can make your own choice and decide whatever you want. And yes, that does happen and it can happen a lot of of people, but that might be doing that in spite of all of those kind of external factors and influences, not that fact that those external influence or factors have no like involvement. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, but if right, if, if taking that argument, if you look at the the sixties, when there's one percent of men and two percent of females were obese, or the other way around, well, whichever it was, what is diff? Okay, food, you can control. They can control their food environment. Obviously, it was different. There's more access to food now, probably than it was in the sixties. More people, I think, generally people are have more money, so they can afford more things but you know in the 60s you're well 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 into the industrial revolution you would everything's changed obviously we haven't got there was not so much automation then more most people didn't have cars and things like that but there's a big difference in one percent and 27 percent there is no horrific mm-hmm. difference well what so so what is okay there's social pressure now but there was social pressure then obviously social media is a different thing now Unless you're referring to that, which influences people's eating behaviour. I I think that's a part of it, but probably only a small part of it. But uh, my my question is like reversing that. Then what's in, for the personal responsibility narrative? What was different then than now? Then why were people more personally responsible then than they are now? Why do all, the... why do all of a sudden people don't give a shit today? Then if that's the the argument. But it's a good question, Mr. Hadley. I, I don't have an answer, and I'm not really expecting you to. It's just, I guess it's just thought leadership type question or kind of just some thought experiment type stuff rather than leadership is probably the right thought experiment type stuff where I'm like... It's one thing I, we've talked about before. But I think it does seem, especially nowadays, people will actively look outside of themselves to blame something for whatever situation they're in. Of course, there are people out there where you can't control certain things. But a lot of people actively look to blame other things. Whether these other things got influence, they probably have. But it seems like there's less personal responsibility these days. It's like, of course, we've got the growth of the health of the health at any size, right? If you're grossly, if you're morbidly obese, you're not healthy. You're not physically, mentally. Who knows? But then you've got you've got that side where someone, someone maybe 50, 40, 50 years ago would have gone, I am really, really big. I've got to sort this shit out. Maybe they've got to the point where, like, I can't fit through a door. Jesus Christ. But nowadays, you can look on Facebook, well, actually, it's okay to be that size. It's okay. 
and then that that they've had uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They've had the okay to look to be like that. So they've gone actually, actually, it's not that bad being like this. They can they can they can think themselves out of out of changing anything. There's more. I'm not saying that's all of it, but there's more of that now than there was like 60 years ago. If we said to someone, "You're obese," no one on the planet Earth would have said they were they healthy. Nobody. I think no, I think it's different. Yeah, um, I think there's definitely more acceptance, and I think yes. actually on the whole though that's a positive thing. Obviously, the extremes get taken sometimes, where almost like the acceptance of being morbidly obese, where it's become really severely detrimental to not only your own health, but obviously it affects potentially sometimes then people's families because they're the worrying concern it affects the the costs and and yeah costs in terms of treatments and medical care because we obviously run in a in a state nhs um or a state healthcare type uh policy with the nhs so there obviously are wider consequences than someone's own personal narrative i mean the whole point of fucking wearing masks is just you know the fact that it's not about protecting you. You're part of a societal acceptance of everyone looking after each other and it only works if everyone looks after each other. And the NHS is the same thing. We all contribute tax and national insurance towards a policy to for everyone to have access to and look after everyone. If, if everyone doesn't do that, it breaks down, it doesn't work. Um, and I guess that's a similar sort of narrative around that. And I do agree, but I think they are the extremes. I think the actual, the whole acceptance stuff is probably a more net positive because for a lot of people accepting their own bodies is is a good thing because they aren't necessarily at hugely higher risks of health issues and health outcomes and actually the acceptance has a positive aspect on their own mental well-being because they're no longer worried about being you know not an ideal physique if that makes sense so i guess there is like a a, it's a funny argument and like i think the debate of this is always going to be a spectrum or you know kind of along a spectrum it's not going to be a yes or no like barrett surgery is good bad or personal responsibility is either it's either all personal responsibility or all kind of more societal not societal what's the word uh i can't think of the right term now my, my, another mind blank but you know what i mean it's not all or nothing in terms of personal responsibility so i guess like the, the conversation we're not going to ever come to an answer are we either but anyway just to, i guess taking it to or, or back to the bariatric surgery thing i think the reason i, I thought it was an interesting topic because I think it is quite common that a lot of people, you know, look at it and say as that kind of easy or lazy way out. But why would we not use that more when the data actually suggests that from an evidence-based perspective, it's actually really successful. And in fact, the most successful weight loss intervention and the most successful intervention on weight-related morbidities and mortality. Well, you think you would use it, especially, like we said, and the fact that it may actually cost the NHS a lot less over the, over the next 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever years of that person's life. Because if, obviously, if, they, if they've used that surgery, they've gone from 30 stone to 20 stone. They're going to be healthier inside. I'm no just, guarantee it. I'm just Googling the average cost of bariatric surgery, which apparently costs, depending upon the type. And actually, that reminds me. Actually, do you know what? Let's go. Sorry. Are, 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 you, in, are you, you making a important point then or shall I go on to actually should we define what bariatric surgery is just because uh, I suddenly realised after when he said that I was like hang on a minute we've talked about bariatric surgery and people might go I don't even know what that is oh yeah true hmm. um, basically it's weight loss surgery for those that hadn't worked out or didn't know uh, and that comes in many forms um, three main ones are and I have got this in front of me, gastric band, gastric bypass, and sleeve gastrectomy. And a band is basically exactly what it says, like a band placed around the stomach, which makes it smaller, so you don't need to eat as much to feel full. And they all kind of work in the same premise, that um, kind of stomach smaller and therefore making you feel fuller or physically unable to eat more. Um, gastric bypass, where the top part of your stomach is kind of joined to the small intestine, so it kind of doesn't fill up your whole stomach, and instead it then kind of makes you feel fuller and you, um, sooner. And you don't actually absorb as much nutrients from the food because obviously it doesn't get digested for as much and it passes through um, a bit quicker. So you don't actually, uh, I suppose, remove as much nutrients from that food. And a sleeve, sleeve gastro, gastrotomy is uh, where some of the stomach is actually removed so you can't eat as much and you feel fuller. So um, they all kind of, there's, there's some other kind of small fringe types, I think, than that. But I think they're the three main ones. Um, 
you're eligible for in the NHS anyway uh, wait to have this surgery if you are either a BMI of 40 or more or you ha- have a BMI between 35 and 40 and have a, another obesity related condition you know type 2 diabetes high blood pressure you know whatever um, so you've got another comorbidity that might increase your risk of stuff so if you kind of hit both the things you are eligible um, I think from memory and I, I don't know if this is absolutely true but I'm fairly certain that you have to have still at least tried other weight loss methods. So they they don't just allow you to have it unless you've at least tried dieting for some period. I don't know what that criteria is. Like, oh, you have to have dieted for a year or whatever. I don't know. Um, but say again. How do you prove it? I mean, if you haven't lost any weight, how do you prove it? Do you have to prove it? Or do, you have to, or do they just say, like, if you go to a doctor, do they say, well, you can't have it now. You have to wait 12 months. And in that 12 months, you have to have tried these interventions. Whether they actually do it or not is another thing. I don't know if that's the case or whether they just have to say, no, I have been trying for 12 months. I don't know. Um, but I know that obviously there, you know, when you have bariatric surgery, I know there are some kind of like long-term follow-ups after surgery stuff as like making healthy lifestyle changes and kind of regular checkups and things like that. So. And that is what's needed. You know, you, it's good. It's all going to having the bariatric surgery, but you know, in an ideal world, you'd want that person then to, at least start changing their habits around their own health. Try and exercise if they're exercise now. Oh, change what they eat. Think about food and environment, mindful eating, you know, that sort of stuff. You'd like to think that. But, I mean, would the NHS provide all that? All that? I very much doubt it. No, I, I, I would probably... Need, there needs to be more than one... Uh, the word more than one butt man or body but more than one avenue they, that, that has, needs to support that person because I mean I doubt they talk about buying fleet in the NHS I mean our food environment so we need to work with people who understand that psych, the psychological part of dieting yeah, I, I, I think of like the, the non-bariatric types of surgeries you can imagine are actually probably way more costly than terms of coaching diet interventions a lot of that stuff is probably quite costly and actually a one-off surgery at you know two to i didn't actually get that far did i when i googled it it was like two to five grand depending upon the the type of thing some of i think gastric sleeves slightly more Mm -hmm. um but even that two to five grand or five to ten grand say that as a one-off cost for i mean i suppose it isn't one-off cost i guess there are some ongoing costs around follow-ups and stuff but i imagine the long run that's probably not a bad trade-off between hopefully avoiding some of the obesity-related costs of, of someone being overweight and some of the medical care that has to then go into it. So, you think, well, you know, imagine the cost of having high high blood pressure, high in your blood for twenty years, you have a heart attack, you've got a quadruple bypass. Imagine that's going to cost tens and tens and tens of thousands to sort that out. Hmm. Yeah, pl- plus obviously medications, checkups, yeah. all the stuff that goes along with that as well. Yeah, so I mean, you imagine spending two to four grand is probably chump change where what a you know a bypass is. Mm. Yeah, and hopefully relative. I don't I mean I don't know if it's a relatively easy procedure or not. I know that I know the NHS website said that. So one of the risks is death. Um, but that's it's very rare, thank God. But yeah, uh, oh, you know oh, the heart bypass surgery. Go on. I thought it's gonna be horrific, but it's not. Two and a half to six grand. All right, okay. Well, I thought it was gonna be in a stupid. <laughs> Well, that'll treat that'll treat us to make sure. No, that won't treat us. That'll uh, that'll learn us, as they say, to um, be evidence based and actually know our facts before we start saying stuff. But hey ho, <laughs> uh, I would have also guessed that it was a lot more expensive or a lot more difficult surgery than kind of just sticking a band around a, a stomach. But clearly not. Do you know what the, the the most expensive surgery that the NHS does is very complex. Intracranial procedures, eighteen-year-olds and under, with CC score twelve plus, brain surgery in children. Yeah, forty-one thousand pounds. I can imagine things like involving nerves, very difficult. Because when the, you know, you can imagine how difficult it would be to like reattach nerves and nerve endings, or you know, stuff on the brain, especially like neuro. No, as you know, I was going to say, I'm going to make myself sound like a right mug. Clearly, don't know what I'm talking about, but so I'll stop there. Um, Actually, what I'm talking about, so I guess obviously we talked about there the kind of the availability of it in terms of what you need to do to qualify on the NHS for it. Um, interestingly, though, uh, and this isn't on the, the um, 
NHS site. It's something I heard on a podcast. But only 1%, apparently, of people that are eligible for bariatric surgery actually have it done. 1%. Which is... So is it a BMI of over 40 or between or between 30 and 35 if they got uh, a stimulated illness? Yeah. Yeah, and obviously have attempted weight loss diets before um, and agreed to the follow-up surgeries. They're the criteria you have to have. So only 1% of people that meet that criteria actually have it, which obviously seems like such a small number, bearing in mind that, and this might be a surprise for a lot of people. So you often hear, uh, I guess it's certainly in the fitness industry, this this kind of like myth statistic around that all like 95% of diets fail within... Uh, a year or something like that like basically 95% of people have put on as much weight or more than they've lost after a year of kind of a diet intervention um I don't think that's a very evidence-based response uh I haven't really looked into too much but certainly some people I trust from the industry have kind of debunked that myth as such but I still think most people would agree even those individuals themselves that we're probably still talking the maybe 70s 80 percent so still a high proportion of people that have dietary interventions and that includes the support from coaches like ourselves as well like we have to be open and honest about that um don't keep their weight uh, or, or don't keep the weight loss up in terms of the you know the kind of this habit slip back which is a bit like we, we refer back to last week's episode i'm looking at this and this right about what this is from 2000 and it's a data from the national health and nutrition examination survey from between 2013 and 2014, uh, about one in 13 adults were considered to have extreme obesity. So extreme obesity is a BMI of over 40. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, you'll obviously clearly, so one in 13, you have to obviously look at the breakdown of the UK population, but one in 13 a- adults is in the tens of millions, isn't it? Uh, well, if you think there's 67 million, one in 13 would be. Oh my god, maths on the spot, very difficult. Uh, tens of millions. So I was talking, but that was a fucking stupid response, wasn't it? Mm. One in I mean, I mean, one in ten would be six, wouldn't it? So it's a bit less, by five. Mm. So still, so so one in 13. So let's call it four to five million, roughly. That's based on the top level population. So it's because heard of say three million. But then you're saying five percent only have that, so ninety five percent of them. One percent. One percent. Not five. One percent. One percent. That I mean you you're working out how many people potentially have had bariatric surgery, but I guess obviously we're talking about the people that are eligible. It's just seen such a small percentage. And like so the reason I kind of brought that that fact up around the kind of 95% of diets fail. I think that was based on one small study, which obviously isn't indicative of real true evidence base. And I think, as I say, the number's probably a bit lower, but I still think the number is probably quite high still. Um, you know, my guess is going to be 70, 80% ish as a guess, that sort of number rather than, you know, a lot lower. Um, I would say more than half anyway. Uh, so obviously it is a bit damning in terms of all of the different interventions that we have in terms of helping people with obesity, reducing um, mortality rates and uh, improving people's, I guess, um, quality of life. Diet diet interventions are a bit shit, as in like not that many people are very successful at them. Um, that's I think that's a fair comment to say, not particularly evidence-based in terms of specific data and stuff, but still, I still think it's quite accurate in in the realistic world. Bariatric surgery, though, is almost flip on its head. It's the opposite. It's by far the most successful in terms of people that have bariatric surgery keeping weight off and reducing mortality rates and quality of life. So because it's the most successful, it does make you wonder why only 1% of people have it that are eligible. Yes, it does. Well, yeah, it does, doesn't it? If you look at those numbers, you're talking about 3 million. See, if half not happening, you're still looking at that. You know, one and a half million people in the UK. Okay, so it's going to cost, what do you say, two to four grand mm-hmm. operation. Let's say three grand times one and a half million. That's like three. It's 4.5 billion. Mm. It's just always clean because of money. But how much, how much would that be if if the, the, the success rate is so, so good, 80%? Mm. That does that does sound a lot of money there actually. Now you've said out there, I think if that's that many people and it's cost that well, much billion, it's like Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, so let's say out of the one and a half million, you say what's it? Eight, it's called it like an it's called it an, you know like a like an eighty percent success rate. 
right? Just, just calling a million, just to be, just around it. Knows way, way off, but uh, how much would those million people have cost if they've gone from morbidly up, extreme obesity to forty to twenty nine or twenty eight to overweight even? How much money would that save the NHS across their lifespan? Like we'd obviously have to know how much the average morbidly obese person costs the NHS over their lifespan to have an idea. Well, if you could find out. Well, uh, Gov UK Health Matters reports on obesity and food environment suggests that the overall cost of obesity in 2019 uh, to the wider society is estimated at about 27 billion um, per year. Uh, so the overall cost, yes, yeah, what it says here: the uh, nearly two thirds of adults in England were classed as overweight uh, or obese. England portion of obese increased from th- from thirteen point two percent of men in ninety three to twenty six point nine in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, okay, we know that. Um, you probably remember the Public Health England Health Matters report. We did a podcast on it a couple of years ago, didn't we? I think it's a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm just trying to find cost of obesity. It's estimated the NHS spent six point one billion on overweight and obese related health, Ill, Ill health in two thousand fourteen to two thousand fifteen. Annual spend is greater than the amount spent on the police, the fire service, and the judicial system combined. Jesus Christ. Uh, obesity is a serious impact on economic development. The overall cost of obesity to wider society is aimed at 27 billion. So, okay, that's, I guess, not quite specifically to the NHS. It's on wider society, the way they've done it. So, economic development, I guess that could mean a whole number of things. Um, but they basically said the NHS spent an estimated 6.1 billion in, oh, yeah, 14, 15, I said that now. Uh, NHS costs attributable to overweight and obesity are projected to reach 9.7 billion by 2050, and wider costs to society estimated to reach 49.9 billion. So I guess, I guess wider cost society is still a relevant uh, measure in that you know that cost to the NHS in terms of that one point whatever billion it was or two billion to throw you know bariatric surgery. Assuming this kind of plays out linearly, um, that could still potentially save a big chunk of that 9.7 billion. Uh, by 2050 in terms of the NHS cost attributed to obesity and the wider cost of societal uh, society of 49.9 billion. So I would say it's still a net positive. Yeah. I mean, but obviously, we, there isn't, nothing's ever going to be that linear in terms of, you know, this well, do this, this happens. But Well, I'm reading an article here and you take what you... It's the Daily Mail, right? So you probably... Numbers are probably going way off. But anyway, let's just see it. Let's just take it as like, well... Maybe the numbers are roughly this. So this was in 2012. There was 110,000 super obese patients who cost the NHS £450 million a year between the between 110,000 of them. So that's a lot of money for not a lot of people, really. So mm-hmm. then I think the workout does, it ends up being 6,000 a patient a year. You know, bearing you know the the average, taking away people with underlying health conditions, you know, they're born with genetics, whatever. How much is the average person across the NHS? I wonder. Under a grand, who knows? But like you, you think, if we were to go, there's a million people out there now, in that possibly in that you know, we're costing four, five, six grand. A year between them, so one would say one point five million. You, you can see the you can see the, the numbers involved, really, can you? Yeah, there's and just that, right. So that's between them. Let's say the average is six grand. So that's nine billion a year. A, a year, let's say for thirty years, you know, in the two hundred seventy billion. Yeah. Uh, uh, his numbers are not accurate by any stretch of imagination, but I think it gets the point of like, you know, if, it, if you're super obese, you might be costing just six grand, whereas the average person, who knows? I wonder if I can find that out now. Let's not dwell too much on numbers because obviously I think we're at risk of just kind of spouting numbers that either don't mean nothing or we're not quite understanding anyway. But I think, like you just said, the overall point still remains in that they're big numbers and. I guess looking at this type of intervention instead of some of the more traditional in terms of just you know the personal responsibility narrative or even just not that but just the kind of the the more general acceptance of people should go on diets and lose weight rather than 
um, lose weight through bariatric surgery or kind of the the, the more uh, perceived as lazy approaches. We're actually missing a big trick here. And I do think obviously those that are claiming that they don't think bariatric surgery is the right method can't say they're really evidence-based in that respect. I think because it, it just, you know, there is the evidence is there that it is certainly for like weight loss and the treatment of things like especially type 2 diabetes it is the most effective treatment by a long, long way. So I think you just can't walk past that or ignore that. The fact that that's that. Why wouldn't we encourage more people to have it? And like you say, when you start throwing those numbers in terms of, OK, they might not be really, really accurate numbers, but you get a rough idea. Um, the net the net resp- result of it is a positive one, I think. I think when yeah, I think when you when you when you pull a guy, I think it is. I think when people are in the fitness industry, it goes against obviously a bias of training, eating well, because actually when I, you know, instilling in the clients, and when you say to someone just have some surgery, they're like, no, nah, no, that's not the way to go. But like when you really look at someone's health, clearly it's a quicker way as well. Go in there, get it summed up or whatever they do. And you physically, you physically can't eat as much. You physically cannot. It's just not like there's nothing to worry about. You know, you got off. Of course, you want that. You want them to instead of approaching every meal, but it's it's not so much of a, a hunger thing, or is it? Because you physically can't do it. So yeah. they lose weight quicker. So effectively, what you're trying to do is get them healthier to stop the burden in the NHS, to make them live longer, better quality of life, mm-hmm. and that's what it does. I, I think who's to say that. Once they've got to the place where they feel happier, they know get results. So they don't, you know, then start employing the gym, better nutrition, a better overall healthier, you know, life. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, there are going to be people that abuse this, and like you say, there'll be people that do see this as the easy way out because they can't be bothered to do it. But again, I think we're talking in small anomalies there, and I think it's a, it's not fair to kind of say that this is typical across these individuals so i don't i don't know but i don't i'm not going to guess that that's the case i yeah and i also agree like a lot of people might use this as just a, a quick quick starter to get into a more healthy position to then try to utilize some of the things in terms of, like you say start to get into more exercise or start to look at their diet a bit more once they've seen the initial results in the same way like you know people ref- people frown or, or look down upon very low calorie diets or like meal replacement type stuff and yet you know the direct study and some of the other kind of um, clinical trials that have been done since on low calorie diets that have shown like such an impressive um, reduction on kind of like type 2 diabetes risks or in, or even kind of getting people into remission and stuff like that you can't just suddenly go all oh, that shit they can't they, they'll, that'll never work like people will never swap their meals for shakes it's like well actually in the right setting this this evidence shows you they will because okay it's a clinical trial but with the support which you know if the NHS starts to is rolling more out which I know they have been doing they will get support they will get it like the clinical trial and they will get that support and i think the gastric band type of scenarios this or you know bariatric surgery is a similar thing in that they get the support actually it's shown that the evidence there is is become very very successful so we shouldn't really look down upon it as a an easy way out and actually why not utilize i mean it's a bit like you know painkillers you've got a headache you take a paracetamol don't you you don't just go well i to be fair i actually generally don't i normally just tough it out for a while unless i get really bad and then i do take one but um so it's probably a really shit example, but a lot of people think, well, I'll just pop a paracetamol and then sort it. Like you just take one, don't you? Because rather than just think you tough it out in the same way as I say to people like, look, dieting, let's not make it hard for the sake of being hard. Cause you don't get any medals for fucking doing it more difficult than the next person. Make it as easy as possible. And I think this is very similar. Like what, why look down upon bariatric surgery when you can actually have a really successful intervention if you want to. Um, that's not to say it is for everyone. I mean, obviously we spoke about before the call, didn't we? There are risks in terms of, um, I mean, the NHS site has things like blood clots, wound infections, loose skin, uh, gastric bands slipping out of place, then like causing things like heartburn, sickness, and vomiting. Um, so it's not like uh, blocked gut. That sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Difficulty swallowing, keep being sick, tummy pain, and not needing to poo as often as usual. Hmm. Nice. Um, blockages can cause a number of complications, including food getting stuck in your gut and becoming kinked or twisted. Oh, that's isn't that what happened? I don't know if you followed Jackson Pios. Um, but that happened to him recently. He said they had no idea why, but he's obviously jacked, like a proper jacked, fucking big bodybuilder. And uh, he got sick uh, and went to hospital and they said he had some sort of like blockage in his intestine and like food weren't getting through. And obviously that had expanded, expanded, expanded as he was eating more and more. 
Um, yeah. And he said he, he obviously had to go on some sort of like, I don't know, something to kind of help it pass through. So he lost 10 kilos in a few days or something. 10 kilos? Yeah, obviously, Ten. like, yeah, like muscle and glycogen and other stuff, I guess, as well. But that's outrageous, that's mad, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's absolutely mad. Lost 10 kilos in a matter of a couple of days or something ridiculous like that. But that's just such a phenomenal amount of weight. But yeah. anyway, uh, malnutrition, other stuff. So I guess, obviously, that does come with risk. So everyone has to consider this. Um, I mean, excess skin is another one. Obviously, if you have successful bari- bariatric surgery, you lose weight quite rapidly you're unlucky to have like the genetics where skin isn't particularly elastic um, and it doesn't then kind of shrink with the weight loss. You might get left with excess skin folds and then therefore you might decide that you then need surgery for that type of thing. So yeah, it's not a case of like it's completely risk-free and everyone should do it. We're certainly not saying that. I just, I want to dispel the myth really that it's like it's shit and it's last resort and no one should ever do it because I actually don't think that that's a very evidence-based approach in my opinion. People, even even when I went back, it's like, oh, some people, people need to take responsibility of themselves and they just use an easy way out. When you think about it, really, if if that's the case and they go from 40 stone to 30 stone, but they still have the same behaviour, they just physically can't eat as much, then they have reduced the burden on the NHS, I would imagine, anyway. Hmm. So their laziness, potentially, still help the NHS. Yeah. and, and the, I mean, you're right. Even if they don't change any actual mentalities and behaviors towards kind of fitness nutrition health all those types of things but they have effectively just got something like you say stopping them physically eating anymore doesn't really matter because you know this the symptoms are, are going to be masked by this one thing whether yeah. they fix the actual problem or not it doesn't matter because they're always going to have this thing i mean i guess weight loss surgeries i guess there's the bands break or whatever else and they have problems but again you know we're talking kind of more outliers there than specifics aren't we yeah 100 percent but yeah I I think a useful chat I think there's probably some more we spoke about before the call we didn't go through but I can't remember now but I think it's an interesting one there's certainly the, the personal responsibility debate and versus kind of more um, societal systematic stuff and the effect that then kind of things like food environment and socioeconomic stuff have on on people's choices is a really interesting one I'll be honest that's probably a get get a real specialist in that area to talk about because um, I'd really like to know kind of a more evidence-based view on it rather than just kind of narrative emotional narratives that we all obviously have um and i i no doubt the answers are very much a crossover of there's there's areas of, of or, or examples of where both of those things happen and both of them happen at once as well as in they don't even exist independently because i guess i mean they actually no they absolutely definitely don't ex- exist independently because i guess my kind of opinion is on that without going into loads of detail because you know whole different topic right we're obviously recorded for a long time anyway but while we were talking about it i guess as i say I do think there's some wider societal uh, or cultural or socioeconomic and all these different kind of like wild, um, longer and wilder kind of influences. But there is still also an element of personal responsibility involved too. Like they both coexist in the same moment. So, and some people's personal responsibility for whatever reason becomes stronger than all the things influencing it. So therefore they'd make a change. And, and then sometimes it's the other way around where all people want to make a personal you know, kind of choice, but they can't do it because all of the other things are just too strong or effective, whether it's genetics or socioeconomic and blah, 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 all the stuff we talk about. So, Fundamentally, <clears throat> everything needs to change and we need to get it into the children now, really young kids. Mm. That's the only way things you see a, a big change in on a population level. I mean, if you, how many kids are in school, or whatever, how many kids are in school now? If every one of those had a nutrition lesson or exercise on health in general, once per week, once per month, and then there was more things on like kids' YouTube, which find out there's quite a lot of. Because obviously they ingest a lot of information when they're young. And if they think, like my daughter now watches things on TV, she goes, Dad, Dad, stop wasting water. You've left the tap on. So those little things end up being. In- you just it's like the thing of um you better make sure you jolly food because the kids in Africa haven't got anything. I mean it's probably millions and millions and millions of people who've been told that. But that's ingrained from a kid. So if you can get things in as a kid, as a child, two, three maybe or two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, that era, then then almost you're building that into them as when they get older, maybe there's less likelihood of them having these type of issues. 
that's the only way you're going to make mass change. No diet's going to change you. Gastric bypass is not going to change you. Nothing's going to change you unless they somehow bring out a magic pill. Mm. I, th- I think, again, like we've just discussed, really, multifaceted approach is going to have to be in terms of changing it very policy level, gen- um, general stuff in terms of ed- increased education, change of in food environment, regulations, um, food marketing regulations loads of stuff it's all going to have to come all be multifaceted and intertwined into play there's not going to be one thing like education is not going to fix it because you know many people know what to eat but doesn't mean they do it properly and that, I, I think that shows that education isn't like any type of um panacea so i think changing... yeah yeah so I, I think i think it's, it's it's such a complicated issue that loads of things gonna have to all all the stars are almost gonna have to align to get to a point where things start to improve but there we go. Um, Got to wrap up there, mate. But great chat. Thank you very much. Everyone listening, if you would like to rate, review and subscribe, please help us. We would love for your support. Be kind to people. Be nice and be kind to us. Uh, and that note, bonjour. See you okay. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Mm-hmm.